Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Depression to Expression podcast. My name is Scott St. Marie. That is my full name. Do a quick Google, learn more about me. It might enhance your listening experience. Today, we have an extremely special guest. And you know why? Well, I can't say his name, but those of you who are supporting this channel through Patreon, well, we all know him very well. This is a longtime subscriber of the Depression to Expression YouTube channel. And yes, he's on this podcast today to share his story of depression, his story with dealing with his loved ones, his parents passing away and how that truly feels and how he's dealt with tragedy in his life. I am so extremely grateful to have had him in my condo in the makeshift studio that I've created and and hung out with him and really got to know him a lot better. You know, through Patreon, it's we can develop amazing relationships, right, with people all over the world, our online community. But the point is to see all of these people in person. And when you see one of your subscribers, fans, whatever you want to call them, friends, obviously, in person. It's just such a beautiful and rewarding experience. Now, if you don't know about Patreon, i just like to give a quick two seconds here to tell you about it. You know, YouTube, I've uploaded hundreds of videos over the past six years, and uh, trust me, I am no rich man, but I'd like to think I do it for my own sake and selfish reasons, because it is like therapy to me, but it also helps people from around the world with their mental health. And this is free. This whole podcast is absolutely free, and I earn absolutely nothing from these. So if you want to support this podcast, have exclusive videos, exclusive episodes, and live stream and meet me, well, go to patreon.com slash depression to expression you can just type in scott st marie patreon depression to expression patreon just google that and learn more about the online community that uh that i'm a part of and that i absolutely love give that a google and uh i hope you learn more and please email me if you have any questions and the reason i'm speaking about patreon is because scott has supported me so much throughout the past year he has been a rock he has been a supporter he has been a fan he has been a friend and is a friend and I'm just so grateful for his message and his understanding and his empathy through through my hard times and I hope I can support him throughout his life as well so here we go here's me and our friend our patron our supporter on the depression to expression podcast Enjoy in three, two, one. Welcome to the Depression to Expression podcast. Little treat for you. Something a little different, something a little amazing. You're not going to believe it. I have a patron right in front of me. And his name is Scott, too, which is really cool. Um, One of our patrons, Scott, took vacation, came to Toronto. Visited Montreal, and here we are sitting right in front of each other. He's on my couch from Sears for four ninety nine ninety nine. I'm on my, what do you call this? 
That would be an chair? armchair. 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 Yes. I think it's a matching set, is it not? Yeah, it came as a... No, it could come as a set, but mm. this they're still, you know, charged individually. Oh. But pretty nice, eh? Yeah, very nice. <laughs> what do you have, think of the view? You, you have The view is, is fantastic. For those of you who don't know, I'm sure many of you do, Scott lives in a high-rise on the water. It's in Toronto. Everyone's like, and Scott, you're living the high you life. I'm like, so you don't know how lucky rich. I got. Yeah, right. You're so rich. No, rich man. This was he like, must be rich. Yeah. No way. Do you know how well you <laughs> thought it was bigger on video? This is a small couch. Yeah. Or this is a small condo. Yes. And for those who watch his videos, the video camera makes his place seem twice as large as it is. Yeah. Yeah. It is teeny tiny. It is. But teeny. it's it's a lot of it's a lot of tiny worth of very cool. Very nicely decorated, very well done, and very Scott. Thanks, man. Yeah. So, what do you think of the city so far? I love the city. I got here about a uh, what is today? Th- Today's Friday. Friday. Yeah. I've been here a week and a day. Yeah. Got in uh, Thursday of last week uh, and was promptly pummeled by thunderstorms while I was watching walking to the kitchen table to get some uh, food to put in my hotel room, uh, so I wouldn't have to pay you know horribly inflated prices for mini bar garbage <laughs> and just completely soaked from head to toe coming back from the kitchen table uh i've since also made a trip to busy bee market to yes pick up a few things too. yeah and uh you were at work um and it was just by coincidence the day that the raptors and the golden state warriors were going to have their uh, what do you call it? Playoff? I'm not a sports. Yeah, it was the end. Scott came for the NBA Finals game, and then it was the whole riot in the streets. Right. And you were here at, in Precisely my opinion, the, the best right point in Toronto history. You saw something that in the last twenty in the last, in the last quarter years. century. Yep, that no one has seen before, and the records were broken as far as how many people on the street. Not only during the um, not only during the riot. Call it a riot. It wasn't a riot, but. Also during the parade, yeah. the Toronto's uh, parade, which was two million people on the streets along Lakeshore, right here. The parade and then was right along there. Somebody had to go and and cause a shooting. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I have a story about that, but we won't get into it. Were, um, were you near that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you heard one. it? Uh, no, I was at Dundas Square, and there was the stabbing, and also another shooting. Oh and, shit! Yeah, scariest time of my entire life for mm. sure. But. Go Raptors! But, yeah. We'll get it again next year. Yeah, um, the dude said this tro- trophy's staying in Canada. Yeah, yeah. But see, I thought that was all for me. <laughs> yeah, Scott's I, in town. I, this I is how in, I treat patrons. This I get into free advertisement. Hello, Thompson, the Thompson, five fifty right. Wellington Street West, fabulous hotel. I get in, and the first thing the girl says to me. Are you here for the game, Mr. Blackman? And I said, and what game would that be? And I'm not much of a sports fan. What ball do they play with? What shape? What color? She says, the basketball, the Raptors versus the Golden State Warriors. And you're from the U.S., are you not? I said, yeah, I've heard of Golden State Warriors. And yeah, she but, said, well, yeah, this is the playoffs tonight. I saw my God. Yeah. I just can't happen to be here on that. It was just we didn't plan. Pure we planned the trip. We planned the trip months ago, and we didn't yeah. know the Raptors were going to make the playoffs, yeah. let alone the finals, let alone be this game and this day yeah. that you arrive. I started planning the trip in December. Unbelievable. Because we get our vacations at work in uh, November for the following year. Yeah. Uh, we find out what dates we get 
And as soon as I had the 20 days in um, June, I started planning the trip Whoa. to come up to Toronto. So it just happened to be divine divine down. intervention. Yes, God Could moment. It be God moment. I yeah. love God moments. Yeah. Now we we spoke of that a bit before we turned this baby on. Was there's God moments? I think we can, you can call them however you like. Some people yeah. call them coincidences. Some uh, people say the universe. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, when you because we need to talk about well you're here as a patron like people got to know yes you obviously discovered my videos yes and like how did you first how did you discover them and why did you watch them and what was going on uh about a year ago or a little over a year well about a year ago yeah um as some background i'm uh 54 years old i believe i have he looks 30 everyone (laughs) i believe that I have suffered from uh, anxiety since approximately 1985-86. It just went undiagnosed for 20 years. Mm. And it started just like for you in university. Just like for you. I mean, and I think it is for so many people. Yeah. That environment that triggers it. Or not triggers it, but brings it to the surface. It was always there, perhaps. But um, that is when you get thrown to the to the wolves. Uh, do you have that saying yeah, in yeah, Canada? Yeah. You've been yeah. thrown to the wolves. Mm-hmm. You leave home, and Mama's not there to help you. Daddy ain't there to help you. You got to do this shit yourself. You are on your own. It's part of learning how to be an adult, mm-hmm. and uh, it comes with a, a lot. Uh, and, and you have your social freedom and your freedom from your parents. And it all comes together to cause either what can be a wonderful situation, in which many ways it was, or one that's very much anxiety-inducing. So uh, that's when it began for me. Uh, and I think I suffered from an on and off up until a point at which about 20 years later in 2006... I became very physically ill with a, a GI ailment in which it was difficult for me, me to eat. It was um, a very painful. Uh, I lost 35 pounds in two, just over two months. Whoa, okay. And uh, at that time, uh, not so much now, but at that time I was a fairly thin person to begin with. Yeah. Um, I simply could not eat. I was so um, anxious and um, and many, many, many symptoms that finally I went into the doctor and to be to first diagnose the GI issues. And my doctor was astute and observant enough to realize that there were two things going on simultaneously: the GI issues and the uh, gastrointestinal issues and the the uh, mental health issues and he was an an amazing amazing medical doctor he he said what we have here is a vicious cycle going on you are uh, very sick something is wrong with you and your digestive system and the pain and and the uh, anxiety that you're experiencing because of that are a vicious cycle which are causing you to it, it, they're, they're feeding on each other and making it worse mm-hmm. and worse and worse and worse and worse. 
And so I got the diagnosis. I called up my mother who uh, lived in South Carolina. And at this time I was living in Fairfax, Virginia. I was based at work in uh, Washington, D.C. And she came immediately as my mother would. She would have it no other way up to be with me and to take care of me. And, um, uh, you know, CAT scans, MRIs, tests, tests, tests. And um, they treated me simultaneously for uh, the digestive issues and the anxiety. And that was the, the magic potion. Uh, the, I shouldn't call it a potion. Combination of treatments that I needed. And um, within a couple of months, I was pretty much back on uh, what I would call uh, a normal path of existence as far as health and mental health, although it took a while to gain back weight and also to be confident in myself again. Mm -hmm. I had great self-confidence before, but my uh, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, run in both sides of my family. I believe strongly there's a genetic component to it. Um, and everyone I always said, oh, Scott's going to be the one that won't get it. It's going to skip him. There's mm. just no way. Not Scott. <laughs> Not well, Scott. Well, I got it, and I got it big. when it, Yeah. yeah. And um, so the you know she came up and helped, and then I went and stayed with them where they live uh, my parents are from were from South Carolina so um uh got better back to work yeah. everything's great uh I was on uh a little bit of therapy a little bit of SSRI um and a little bit of a uh, little tiny tiny little bit of Xanax now and again uh, I had a little dude, bit of SSRI I, I had I had 0.25 Xanaxes. Do you know how how little that is? Yeah, yeah. 0.25. Just enough to say of you're a milligram. doing it. Just to yeah. take that edge off, baby. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, uh, an SSRI called Lexapro, which was uh, uh, just comes in tens and twenties, ten milligram and twenty. And uh, the doc was like, uh, "I'll start females on ten, work them up to twenty. Men, fuck ten. Take you go for twenty. Hmm. You just for men, ten's not going to do anything for you. Hmm. We go straight to the twenty, and twenty is the max. Oh, and it works very well. It worked like a charm. Let me say, I'm one of those lucky persons that whatever medications I'm ever given, they work for me, textbooked perfectly. No, I, I and you're rare... still on the same one. No, oh, no, that's okay. part of the story. We'll get to that. Okay. Uh, I uh, but. Just medications just work for me. I don't get the side effects. I get the full effects, and and I'm just lucky that way. Mm-hmm. Because I know many people who have hard time taking medications because they get the side effects and they're intolerable, or the medication doesn't function as it's supposed to for the majority of the population. So things went well. Little therapy, um, learning coping skills, reframing. Uh, guided uh, meditations, guided visualizations really work for me. Uh, music is a huge part of what I use to lift me up or calm me down uh, when needed, whatever is needed. Um, I have many, many tools. So I had tools in my toolbox, for, as you call them, 
Uh, and I had not heard that term and did not use that term until I heard it listening to your videos years later. But I realized years, years later, I had a toolbox. Yeah. Just like you uh, talk about. Um, and uh, I've never done therapy since uh, that initial time in 2006, 2007. Haven't felt the need to go back. When I see my psychiatrist quarterly, because in, in the U.S., psychiatrists uh, see you quarterly for your medication. They just call it medication management. Uh, they do 15, 20-minute appointments. If you're good to go, how you doing? Everything's great. Boom, boom. Here's your meds. See you yeah. in three months. Nice. If, if you're having some issues, they've got some time in the appointment um to do a little psychotherapy if necessary mm. and if you're doing bad then they'll refer you off to therapists uh for adjunct you know therapy work yeah. to help bring you back to a good place but luckily i i really never had to avail myself of that because i'll get down but i usually bounce back so pretty, so pretty what quickly. year are we at here when you're so now we're now? we're talking from 2006 until about 2012 which is the year in which my mother with whom i was very very close passed away uh quite suddenly and how, how did she pass away? Uh, my mother had a massive uh, cranial hemorrhage which is basically a stroke uh but it was catastrophic it was, um, I, I talk about bad genes in the family. We have the mental illness gene. We have, <laughs> we have my mom's side aneurysms are just all over the place. I had been scanned from, from head to toe, front to back, inside and out for aneurysms uh, to see if I have any. And I do not. So far, they yeah. can develop later in life. Um, cancer is all in. You know, if you make it past 75 in my family, you're doing good. <laughs> Jesus. So I'm about to be 55. Yeah. So I, I truly, and this, not to sound maudlin, but I think I have 20 years left on this earth. I think in those terms. So hmm. I'm going to make the most of them. Hmm. Uh, but um, the, the passing of my mother was very quick. She had a brain aneurysm, a stroke, a cranial bleed, all those same terms uh, that just took her very quickly and, according to the doctors, very painlessly. Um, it is a whole other story that death can be beautiful, and I don't mean that to sound overly dramatic, but my mother's passing was a beautiful, uplifting thing because of her faith and her view of life and the person that she had been in her 72 years and the peace with which she went. It was a death one deserves if you've lived such a life. And did you... Uh, well, well, well let, let's, let's go into more of that if you don't mind. What's, okay. what's that Absolutely. like, um, witnessing... A loved one's death, especially okay. your, your mom's. Uh, the story is, uh, I, I'm a flight attendant. Yeah. I was on a layover in Billings, Montana, in the Billings Sheraton downtown. I'll never forget it. It was cold and snowy, and my dad called. And I had just a few months, bef uh, a couple of weeks before, 
flown with them. I would fly my parents somewhere every summer and get them set up to get away from cold weather. Kind of like snowbirds. You Canadians uh, like mm-hmm. the snowbirding. Yep, for You go sure. down to the warm weather. Go down and, to Florida. Yeah, and uh, a lot of you go to Texas, Arizona, mm-hmm. and uh, I would do that for my parents. They were living in South Carolina and also in North Carolina in a mountain cabin up in the mountains where it gets snowbound. And um, I would take my time. The last decade from 2000, I would say, 8 until 2018 were devoted to my parents and helping to um, make their life as, as good as possible using the benefits that I have as a flight attendant, the free travel the uh, ability to go places and see things and do things um, without the the cost of buying tickets and what have you, and to go to go places in say two and three months at a time, and I would spend all my vacation time with my parents because I was close, especially close with my mother and very close with my father, and. Uh, they were getting up there in years, and I used the advantage of the um, large amount of time that I get off in my job to spend it with them. Even though I didn't live near them, that near them, I could reach them if I needed to quickly. Um, I made it a point to to do to use my time to uh, be the best son I could be for them, and to take them places and set them up and and get them in you know long-term rentals for winter and what have you um and then i would go when it was time to for them to come home and help pack them up and fly back with them and things like that so they chose arizona that summer a beautiful southern arizona town up in the mountains that i happen to love called bisbee b-i-s-b-e-e arizona look it up sometime it's an old copper mining town nice five thousand feet in elevation up in the mountains it's like a mini san francisco with these little houses hanging off mountainsides and a copper mine underneath it all it's haunted wow. and all this stuff but just beautiful beautiful for winter time Got them there, got them set up, stayed a week with them, had a great time. Went home, went back to work, worked a trip. And then my mom called one day on a Monday. I'll never forget. And she said, your dad has some questions. He's looking at a map. He's planning his road trips because they would go take extended road trips from um, their, uh, the place at which they were staying for the winter and just to go see different areas of the country. And he has some questions that he'd like to ask you. So I just wanted to see if you had time, and I said yes. And she said, well, okay, I'll put your dad on. And she said, Sonny, because that was one of my many, many nicknames. We are Southern, so we have at least five nicknames each. <laughs> and each, member, you know, each branch of the family has different ones. Yeah. And she said, I need to tell you something. And I was like, oh, what? And she said... What other parent has an adult son that takes all his vacation time, spends it with his parents, flies them to various places around the world, goes with them just to help them, sets us up for long term and and leaves us uh, just set to go and only enjoy ourselves and takes care of all the details and the travel arrangements and all those types of things. 
who else has that? That's a rare thing, and you're a rare son. And I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, this was quite some time ago. And she said, I just want you to know that we appreciate that. And I know you know we know, but I want you to hear it. And I want you to know that I love you with all my heart and always will. And I said, thank you, Mama. Southern Mama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mama Dad. Yeah, yeah. So if I call my dad Dad, we yeah. When I was a kid, we called him Daddy. But but when I was adult, it was Dad. But but it's Mama till the day you die. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how old you are. And 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 I said thank you, Mama. I I love you too. And she said, I just needed to make sure you knew that. And here's your father. And then. My father got on, we had our conversation, we hung up. The next day I go, I do my trip, I go to the layover in Billings and I get the call from my dad. When your mother woke up this morning, she had a massive stroke. She was airlifted to uh, Tucson, Arizona. And Scott, we were not gonna, we're not gonna have her much longer. You need to come. And so I got my shit together I flew, I worked the flight to Denver because you're in a small layover city. No one's there, nobody else is there to work it for you. Um, if I lost my shit and said I can't work, then the flight would cancel and I'm stuck there anyway. So I got myself together, packed my suitcase, took my shower, got on the plane, didn't say a word to anybody, got to Denver, told my crew, I'm leaving the trip. The company's flying me to Tucson. My mother is in the hospital. She's brain dead from a massive stroke. Um, and I will be leaving the trip now, and, and um, uh, I'll see you guys soon. And they were like, oh, my God, you know, wanting to. I'm like, no, I just, I've got to go. Goodbye. So that was the longest plane ride from Denver to Tucson. Uh, uh, you know, and then had to run a car because the, town they were in was 80 miles south and um i I, the boat well let me back up the car had to be rented to uh because my dad of course came uh in in a in the rental car they had but they airlifted my mother up to um tucson in the helicopter because they believe it or not out in the middle of the deserts they have volunteer airlift uh, services for people that that out in the middle of nowhere have medical needs and they fly That's them awesome. to, to Tucson but that plane ride is what I meant to say was the longest one uh, you know just Denver to Tucson yeah and uh, then to get a rental car to drive to the airport um, you know that drive and this is before GPS and all that stuff mm-hmm. to walk in to find my dad standing over my mother in the bed with well in a in a in a a living body but it was only alive through technology so um my mom left this world flying over the beautiful southern desert of arizona because the last words she spoke which were to tell the women the female nurses uh the emts in the helicopter 
don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. I know where I'm going. I know what's happening. And you take care of my husband and my son when you see them. Those women, when you're in their helicopter, the medical, medical, medical evac helicopters, they have to wear helmets. It's loud. They have the mics. But when she reached up and, 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 and tried to get their attention to speak to them, they both took those headsets, those helmets and those headsets off and put their ears down to their mouth so she could speak to them, which is forbidden. Wow. But for her, they did it. So she was, you saw her in this bed with yeah. being, and you know, all, yeah. with all this technology. All this technology keeping, keeping her alive. alive. Mm-hmm. My dad asked for one last brain scan, which they, they, they did. Mm-hmm. And she was, her brain was destroyed. The brain stem, the the whole, the brain was destroyed. It was just, it was hopeless. Um, And so then, you know, we just had to decide when's the time. We have to notify the family, notify the funeral home, all that stuff. So my dad uh, and I decided that the next morning we would say our goodbyes. We would use that evening to call the family. Sleepless night. The time came he said his goodbyes and he said I'm getting in the car to go down and get all your stuff which I will keep for the rest of my life and I've got to clean out the house we were renting it's an 80 mile round trip 160 miles and I've got to go and do that so my wife of 56 years I'm saying goodbye to you now those are not his words. That's the paraphrase. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, off he went. So I was there. I was talking to family members. I come back from getting something to eat. Um, and one of the flight nurses from the helicopter was there. And she said, this is wrong of me. This is against the rules. We are not to visit patients that we've transported. We are not to approach their families. But your mother, in all my years of doing this, has affected me so that I have to see her before she passes, if if you will allow it. And I looked to the charge nurse and I said, is it okay? She said, it's your decision. I said, well, then come in. So we went into the room, whereupon this woman lost her shit, just wailed and fell at the knees of my mother's bed. Did she say anything as to why or just why there was the, such just, an impact? Just the way my mother behaved. As she was fading away in that helicopter. Mm -hmm. And her words to them being, her last words, don't worry about me. Mm. I know where I'm going. I know what's happening. You take care of my husband and my son. And I was comforting her. I was holding her. She was crying. I was the one comforting. This woman who met my mother the day before. 
She had to drive an hour and had a flat tire on the way and changed a tire and still came. She left, and a couple hours later, the other one showed up, the other EMT or flight nurse, not having known the other one had arrived earlier. And she said, this is completely against regulations. It's improper. It's inappropriate. But do you know what your mother said on the helicopter? And I said, yeah, I've heard from, and I forget their names now. I have their names. I have their cards. Of course, I wrote to them. Uh, I said, yeah, um, let's say her name is Susie, just to give her a name. Yep. She said, Susie, I said, Susie was just here two hours ago. She said, what? She was here too? I said, yeah, she was here too. She said, Susie's never visited a patient, and this is the first time I have as well, for the very same reasons. Now, she went into the room with more composure. She went up, held my mother's hand, talked to her, brushed her hair back from her head, stroked her cheek, talked to her like a person who was alive, and told her it was an honor to be with her in her last conscience moment on this earth and she turned to me and she said something along the lines of everyone should have a mother like yours were you the last one with your mom no my when mom you, when hung did you on. Say goodbye. My mom hung on. Look, you've got me saying "mom" like a Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> my mama held Your on. Mama held on all day until my father got back. Her, her line, the lines, you know, the monitors, all that stuff, strong as an ox. Mm-hmm. They weren't giving her anything. They had her off the respirator. But she had enough of a will or enough brain function left that she lived until my dad got back from packing up the stuff and getting back to the hospital, which was about a 12-hour period of time. And as soon as my dad, and I mean as soon as my father, walked into the room and said, now, this sounds weird because, and Southern couples do this, especially older ones. They call each other mom and daddy, mm. or mama and dad. That sounds odd. It's not, it, it, it's, it's, it's not incesty or gross or weird or, you know, it's, banjo it's music yeah, on the mountain, custom. you know, yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's just, they do it. Mm-hmm. They do it. And he said, Mama, I'm back. I got all your stuff. I found it all. It's all in the car. All your rings, all your jewelry, your Bible. When my mother woke up this morning, that was a Sunday morning, she even, she was having the stroke. My dad was having to carry her. But she was saying, carry me to the TV, Dr. Stanley, the Sunday morning minister who had his Sunday morning TV show is coming on. Bring my notepad. I need to take notes. <laughs> God. She was stroking out. And she was going to watch Dr. Stanley. Yeah, yeah. You know? So she wasn't 
she didn't have the alacrity at that time. She didn't have the clarity at that time. It was bleeding at that time. Right. She was more aware and less altered in the helicopter when she spoke to the flight nurses the way she did. Uh, but as soon as he told her he was back, everything started going down. Mm. And they said, clear the room. She's going. So my dad was literally in the room a minute, and she started letting go. Mm. And he stood beside her bed and just laid over on her, put his head on her chest and held her. And I stood, it was the, the bed was at an angle in the room, not in the, against the wall. They put things in the hospital setups now in the ICUs, they put the bed in the middle of the room at an angle and the machinery surrounds it. So you're able to approach from any angle. So I went behind her bed and just put my arms around her from behind and put my ear, my mouth down beside her ear. And my dad's inclination was to speak out loud to her and look at her face. And my inclination was to just whisper into her ear. And I don't know why, but that's just the way it worked out. And he was speaking out loud. I was whispering into her ear. We're here. We love you. And just know that we're fine and you can go. And five minutes later, they were checking her for pulse and it was gone. What happens after that? As far as, not immediately after, but how have you been able to process that here on out because the memories are still very real as you tell the story yeah they're very real uh i've never been a journaler i always could not get into that uh i know that's you do that i believe you do some journaling and they tried to get us to do that in school and i was always like i can't do this shit Mm. that's not me i don't write things down i live in the moment um and i've tried and i just never could do it but, um, of course, she had to be transported back to South Carolina, where my parents have their burial plots, their hometown. You have the business of getting that done. And then I had my father to contend with, because they had been married 56 years at the time at which she died. My dad was an entrepreneur, like you. He owned his own business, at which he did very, very, very well. Um, they retired early, moved back to their hometown. They moved to Texas when I was six months old for him to start this entrepreneurial endeavor. And um, in the early, late 80s, early 90s, they retired early, sold the business, and went back to their hometown. So uh, we had to get everything, her body back there, him back there. And you do this all through the funeral home. Mm-hmm. The family comes you have the viewing, you have the service, you have the graveside service, and then it hits you. You know, okay, after that happens. Well, your mind yeah. is so busy. Yeah, with you're busy. Accommodating. The, the, yeah, you've you got know, the dealing details. With all of this, right. And you're right. hosting the family, and they're right. all telling you. 
And uh, I'll tell you, my uh, the the line went out the front door of the funeral home. And this small town, South Carolina, they had the receiving line that was supposed to last an hour. And and I had to start going down the receiving line because people wouldn't stop talking and to me about my mother, about what she meant to them, mm. on and on and on. And I had to just start stopping people and uh, and saying, I've, I've got others waiting. And the, the schedule is, is tight. And my dad just stayed by the casket and people would stop and talk to him. And I started going down the receiving line to 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 speak to everyone and 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 um you know me uh we've been friends now for almost a year i cry at the drop of a hat for joyous things but i'm pretty stoic in in sad times Mm -hmm. in public in private that's another story and that was my mother to a T. When someone died, she took over in the family. And how do you do it? How How is this possible? I can remember my mother, after that was all over, she would go away into a room one time, and she would get it all out, just wail and scream and, and, and rage. And that would be it. And... That is kind of how I am as well with that type of thing. So I was going down the line and thanking everybody and welcoming everybody, and they're all blubbering and snot laden, and you know, you know, hugging me and leaving snot trails on me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My aunt and her daughters and their ah, <laughs> my nephew, and I say these: this my aunt is like my sister, her kids are like my nieces and my nephews. Um, and uh, my aunt and I are only 10 years apart, and she spent a lot of time with us when I was a child. Um, and, of course, they're, they're devastated. I, my nephew, uh, my first cousin, my nephew, I, he couldn't even come inside. And, and we're talking a six-foot-seven college football player who can't even bring himself to see her and was outside just inconsolable, you know. Mm. But we get through that, and then the next thing is, I've got to teach my father to live without my mother. So I took a month off from work. I'm a flight attendant for a major U.S. carrier, which I can't say the name of because they have strict yeah. uh, social media mm-hmm, policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, for your YouTube viewers, I'm Scott B. For your uh, patrons... The patrons the know patrons, who you are. The patrons have my full name. We all know who you so, are. So yeah, so you guys, yeah. If you want to know my full name, you you know how to to get it. Yeah, you can sign up with Scott. So. <laughs> um, but um, I had to teach the man how to do laundry, how to turn wash the dishwasher. My dad could cook for himself. He liked to cook. He didn't like to cook the side dishes and stuff but he liked to grill meat and all that stuff my yeah. dad was a hunter yeah uh he would hunt and kill animals clean them gut them you know process them himself etc good for him so That's he awesome. could he could cook himself some meat yeah i yeah. had to teach him how to like microwave some veggies because i can't cook for shit 
you know, I am not a cook. I am a, I am I can clean a house yeah. to a fairly well, another Southern saying. Um, and I am a laundress extraordinaire. I can get any stain out that you can come up with, but I can't cook to save my life. Mm. Thank God for microwaves and restaurants <laughs> and things like Snap Kitchen, which are prepared meals down in, yes, the, in right. the States. Do you mm-hmm. have Snap Kitchen? We here? have many things like Something that. like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, all really good healthy food. Mm-hmm. So um, I took a month off. That was January. We were up in that mountain cabin, knee deep in snow. And I basically was on suicide watch because my dad, like I said, is a hunter. He grew up in the country on a cotton farm. They literally would go outside and wring a chicken's neck to have for dinner that night. My grandmother would say, Bud, go out and get your chicken. That's what we're having tonight. He would go out and pick a fat chicken and pick her up and swing her by the neck until it broke. Pick it, clean it, and that's what they would eat. You know, they had an outhouse. Real eating. They wiped their asses with corn cobs. That's I, extreme. I kid you not. That's they didn't have toilet tissue back then. Oh my god. They took goodness. used corn cobs. When you ate the corn off the cob, you put it away, you let it dry, and then then that dried corn cob was used for uh shall we say, um, bathroom hygiene. <laughs> That's a light way of putting it. Yeah. Then the Sears and Roebuck catalog, uh American con- company called Sears and Roebuck. Wait, we uh, had did, Sears. Okay, Sears, Sears and Roebuck. Yeah. 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 When it began, it was Sears and Roebuck. Okay. It, then it became just Sears. And now it became and then you get, out of business. you get the Sears and Roebuck catalog, mm-hmm. which is a lot of newspaper-type paper. Yeah, that's right. Well, oh, yeah. the, after you got through looking at the catalog, you put that in the outhouse. My, my dad lived in a house with an outhouse and a pump at the well. Whoa. It was a, war, a house that was uh, uh, shot up in the uh, Civil War. It had holes in it from guns where, where bullets had been blown through the walls on a cotton farm. One time my dad told the story he was out picking cotton. You know, sometimes uh, during the day you can see the moon and yeah. the, the, the daytime sky. Yeah. And he was out picking cotton with uh, my, my grandmother and his brother. And he looked up and saw the moon. And he said, look, Mama, I see the moon. And she reached up, didn't uh, bring her head up. She's down there bent over picking cotton. But she reached up and popped him one in the face and said, if you're seeing the moon, you're not picking cotton. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so, yeah, work ethic that's, comes from yeah, way right. back. Yeah. So, yeah, when you're done with the Sears and Roebuck catalog, you put it in the outhouse and you use the tissue, the tissue like paper to wipe your ass. And those are that's a thick catalog. That would last a little yeah. while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, my dad had, you know, the, the the long johns that had the little flap in the back. So yeah. that when you, it, you know, they had a, a slop pot, a slop jar in the bedrooms where if they had to piss at night, they'd just get up and piss in the jar and then throw it out the window in the morning. That's, what the, what is, that's also called, uh, what's that called? Well, we, you, they slop, called it a slop jar yeah, in the what south. what else is it called? It's not a... In a, in a hospital, it's a bedpan. Bedpan? Oh, something else. Oh, my gosh. That's going to drive me nuts. You're, in the Canadian sense, uh, it's a Canadian word? No, just an old, like, it's 
chamber pot. Chamber there pot. There we go. That's, that's the it. British term. Ah, yes, well, that's Canadian the posh British, yes. British term. Chamber pot. The chamber pot, darling. Yes. Darling, yes. did you use your chamber pot it's, last uh, night? Doesn't that sound real nice? We'll do, Slob we'll, I'll, I'll get Hortense to empty your chamber pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Hortense, the pot, please. Yeah, it, uh, no, they would just throw it out the window. But yeah. if you had to take a shit in the middle of the night, you went outside freezing your ass off. You do the little two buttons, the little flap drop down, and you sat over door. the hole, and you did it. The trap door. Yeah. So, anywho, I had to teach my dad, and yeah. I was on suicide watch, basically. My dad was, was a wreck. This happened like that. They were married, and uh, she was 16, he was 17. You could do it that yeah. young back those oh, yeah. days. It was legit. She wasn't pregnant. Mm-hmm. They that that people married young, but you know he was the businessman, she was the homemaker. Yeah, you know. So I took a month off. I got him in, and my dad and mom both had been. My mom, when Prozac first came out, my mom was on it, like that. Oh, stayed on it for the rest of her life. She never had to take a higher dose. Oh my Prozac gosh. was her was her was her jam. Yeah, it did wonders for her. Um. Um, you know, because as uh, you know, as you know, sometimes the brightest, most wonderful, most caring, wonderful people on this earth are under the ven- under the veneer. They're depressed or they're Absolutely. anxious. Oh yeah, of course. It's like the the comedians. Yeah, a lot of comedians exactly. they have that dark I, I sent side. You that article. Uh, comedy comes from pain. Yeah, and the people that are constantly trying to be the comedian are covering the pain. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and my dad had been on Zoloft since the 90s. And my mom did her Prozac since, when did Prozac come out? Was it the 80s? 60s. No, 60s. The 60s? Oh, yeah. In Canada? I thought in the U.S. it didn't come out until the 80s. Maybe 70s. Oh, no, definitely. I don't know. I, but, hey, Google, when was Prozac released? Hey, Google, when was Prozac released? 1987. No shit. On the website pbs.org, they said that late? in yeah. 1987, the antidepressant fluoxetine was introduced. Fluoxetine. It had been tested by the FDA and found to be an effective antidepressant with fewer than usual side effects. Doctors no way. began to prescribe okay. to depressed patients. That's enough, Google. So, wow, okay. yeah, late okay, so she got it she was the out, first she one. Was, she was on it. Boom. Oh. Prozac okay. Nation, baby. Yeah. She yeah. was on it and it helped her tremendously. Oh, she great. never ever changed dosages mm-hmm. and took it till the day she died my dad was diagnosed with depression in the mid 90s and started zoloft and it worked wonders for him my dad was one of those that he, i'm a he-man i shouldn't need this he would go on and off it on and off it and it, he told me son when i was diagnosed in 06 and put on lexapro uh the uh ssri he said never ever go off stay on for the rest of your life because every time you go off you withdraw it's hell and you try you fail and when you go back on it it's harder to get it to work again mm. that was his advice mm. and then because he tried it a few times and he would always have to go up to a higher dose and right. then add adjunct medications and right you know so anywho um i stayed with him for about a month I got him in with a grief counselor, a psychiatrist, and then also a therapist. Uh, two therapists, one specialized in grief counseling, the other just a general therapist, and then the psychiatrist. 
my dad, uh, uh, he couldn't eat. He mm. couldn't eat. He, he was losing uh, about a half a pound a day. Um, so they gave him some medication, they, a cocktail of medications that helped him along the way, appetite, appetite stimulant, etc. Right. So uh, got him back on track uh, by about January, February of 2013. And he was doing pretty good. He was going back and forth between Texas and South Carolina, his home, because my dad became a true Texan when he lived in Texas for those uh, 38 years. Yeah. Um, he loved everything about Texas. Um, Where in Texas? Uh, North Texas, uh, Texas. just uh, 40 miles south of the Red River, which is the divided line between Oklahoma and oh. Texas. Okay. I grew up about an hour and 20 minutes outside of Dallas, Texas. And my dad's business was in a town called Sherman, Texas, which was a town, and now it's about 50, 60,000. Back then it was about 30, 40,000. Okay. And we lived about 20 miles out of town in the country on a horse farm. My dad's side gig was raising thoroughbred race horses. So I grew up on a horse farm. So I'm a farm boy, yeah. to be quite honest. And he used to have me a Texas accent, but I've been away for a long time. I kind of <laughs> lost it and went to Catholic college, and they didn't didn't like that. Taught me how to talk proper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still there. I can bring it up. I use it at work, too, sometimes. They just think you can be someone else. You yeah. could have been you could have had that accent the whole podcast. Yeah. No one would have known. No Actually, one would have known. Patrons would have known. But <laughs> is that part of is that part of your your dad's, you know, how he was raised, but also what he did for work? It's like being a farmer and, and you know, uh, but, well, and killing a, chickens. It I was don't a, know. That's uh, a different yeah, kind of mentality. Grew, he grew up on a cotton farm. So it was hard, hard labor. Yeah. And they were poor. They were poor. Um, and my father's, my real grandfather, who I never met, my father's father, was an abusive alcoholic, physically and, and mentally and verbally abusive to my grandmother mm. and my uh, uh, father, his his uncle. And um, right after my aunt was born, she was an accident way later in their marriage. And right after my grandmother had her, he was out of the picture. Uh, which way back then was quite a feat. Um, and my grandmother um, shortly thereafter met and man married the man who she called the love of her life. His uh, last name was Powers, and they called him by his last name, Powers. He was a, um, uh insurance salesman, life insurance salesman, if I have the story right. Okay. Uh, maybe I might be mixing that up, but the point is, is that he had a huge life insurance policy on himself that my grandmother didn't know about. She said he was the love of her life and treated her kids like royalty. And I think she only had him a few years and he died of can cancer of the sinus cavities. Oh gosh, gets everywhere. A, a, a very horrific death. Mm. She said, Scott, I watched his head deflate like a basketball. What? Yeah. So he died. So and my well, parent, my my dad is older than you know. Married. My uncle was married. My aunt, my uh, aunt was just a, a young child, uh, four or five, I think. And then by chance, I don't know really how it happened. She met the chief engineer of a of a uh, shipping vessel that ran between uh, the west coast and Japan. 
And I don't know how she even met him. His name was Charles. We called him Granddaddy Charles. I knew he wasn't my father's father. I just knew he was my grandmother's husband. Mm-hmm. And um, um, we called him Granddaddy Charles. He was a hoot. Um, and the ship was based out of Japan, out of um, um, Tokyo or, or Narita. I'm not sure. And so my aunt and my grandmother went and lived in Japan for three years. And uh, cool. because the ship was based out of there. Yeah. And then he retired. They moved to Florida. And uh, they amicably divorced about 10 years after he retired. Uh, very amicably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my grandmother said, I'm done. My grandmother was a character. Uh, man, what a character. I could do it. We could do a whole podcast on my grandmother. <laughs> um, she said, I'm done with these men. I've got my little Pomeranian and my grandkids and my kids. I'm done. She's walking her dog one day, and a, and a gentleman lawyer from Tennessee had his 95-year-old mother in Cocoa Beach, Florida, where my grandmother lived, enjoying uh, a late afternoon luncheon. And he saw my grandmother walk by, walk by the window with her little Pomeranian. And he told his 95-year-old mother, I'll be right back. To which she apparently said, you'll do what? <laughs> and he said, I'll be right back. Well, apparently he didn't ever act like this in front of mother. His wife had uh, died many years ago. He went out on the street and stopped my grandmother cold on the street and said, Madam, I've never done anything like this, but I saw you walk by and I would like to ask you to dinner. And she said, well, Mr. And he said, my name is Jonathan B. Cobb. And she said, well, I would be delighted to go to dinner with you. And he did. How and several romantic. months later, they were married. So Whoa. husband number four, whom we called, are you familiar with the movies, The Godfather movies? Uh, no. Okay. I, I, I know about okay. them. Okay, well, they're Francis Ford Coppola. They're, famous, they're gangster yes. movies yes. in the U.S., The Godfather, parts one, two, and two, three. three yeah. Well, since he was the fourth husband, we called him The Quadfather. <laughs> nice. Anyway, they had a, few, a year or two together before they both uh, died within months of each other. But anyway, I digress. Got my dad back on his feet. He's spending time in South Carolina and Texas. Uh, I uh, decide to transfer to Texas from Washington, D.C. Because my dad's spending time at both places. And I wanted to go back down to the south where it was warm because I dislike cold weather. And where the cost of living is half of what it is to live on the east coast of the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I moved to Houston in 2013. Uh, in August of 2013, after my mother had died in December of 2012. Um, my dad lived another uh, two years and died in June of 2015 um, after complications from a surgery. It's very long and involved, but okay. he, he had certain necessary surgery. There were complications, and he was in intensive care for a week Uh, the prognosis was not good he came out from underneath it and my parents both had power of attorneys and dnrs from the 90s they were way ahead of their time dnrs do you know what that is no no do not resuscitate Oh, okay right yep uh health care power of attorney right and they had had put those together in the 90s way ahead of their time yeah uh because they did not want to be artificially sustained to, they did not want to live as vegetables or mm-hmm. to have a poor quality of life. 
they had it down to the T. No, no food, no hydration, no nothing. Let me go. So my dad started coming out of the anesthesia um, about a week after the bot, uh, not botched surgery, but the complications of the surgery. Mm-hmm. And he opened his eyes and he looked around the room at all of us, nurses, family, doctors, shook his head, no. We walk out of the room to start talking. And my dad, being the man that he was, just having been a week under, completely unconscious, started ripping every lead, every tube, every IV off of himself. And when we got back into the room, he was pulling the ventilator tube from his throat. The man said, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And he was done. At that moment? No. They, oh, so of course, have he... protocols. They yeah. had to reestablish everything, and he's fighting them. Yeah, yeah. But they had to reestablish all the leads, the, the tube, everything, and then do everything through the proper way, the paperwork yeah, and yeah. all that stuff. And um, uh, then... We were able to do the 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 normal turn everything off and let him pass, and he right. went quickly. And what was your goodbye and final moments with? Your uh, dad I was like? not with him when that occurred. Okay. He uh, right after the surgery, everything seemed to be going well. Yeah. And I went back to Texas. Uh, he was up at the mountain cabin in North Carolina when this happened, and everything seemed to be going well. There was family there. It was a few days after the surgery that it all just fell apart. And basically what happened is his colon ruptured and made him septic. It poisoned mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Uh, it emptied into his abdominal cavity, oh, uh, which causes you to become septic. You, you, know, you become poisoned by your own body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the family was there when that all happened. Uh, so I made that sound like I was in the room and saw all that with him pulling the tubes and the okay, and but the, do- the doctors, the, saw the this. family, the, the doctors, the nurses, yeah. they told me all that. Okay. I learned that after the fact, but that they had said he shook his head, no, stop this. Mm-hmm. He was like very, very clear. So they had to call me to get the permission, and I said, my father's wishes have always been very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Take him off as soon as you can. Don't hold him. Don't make him suffer. Take him off as soon as the processes that must be achieved are done and let him go. And my goodbye to him will be when I left him looking like his normal self, making jokes. My la- my father's last joke, this is where I get my dirty mind and my foul mouth. It's my father. Listeners wouldn't know, but you do have a, well, you like a- me that way. Yeah, I am very much like Scott St. Marie. I think guys named Scott have potty mouths. (laughs) Uh, And my dad had one for sure. Yeah. And uh, my mom did not. It's a constant cause of consternation for her. Uh, But I was going back because I was just turning 50. And in the U.S., when you turn 50, you're supposed to get a colonoscopy to make sure you don't have colon cancer. In Canada, it's 40, actually. Oh, at 40? Yeah, we don't mess around. Man, you guys don't mess around with your, your, uh, what's it called? Um, What's the term? 
not socialized medicine, uh, health, socialized national health care. Yeah, socialized health care. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, we don't get it till we're 50 in, in uh, the U.S. Fun so, time. So I had had that scheduled, and my dad was doing good. And he said, son, go on back home, get that done. Sorry, you're right. Um, prostate exam is 40. Okay. Colonoscopy might be 50 here, too. Either way, it's something up it's, your ass. It's, it's about your ass. probably not till 50 because... It rarely shows up before 50. Mm-hmm. Even in people with bad, bad, unhealthy lifestyles, yeah. the colon cancer usually doesn't doesn't show up until right. the 50s or later. Mm. Uh, yeah, men need to be getting prostate exams much earlier than yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I was getting the thumb up the ass by the doctor, that is, uh, in my 30s in okay. the U.S. Okay. Um, by the way, I do not find that um, pleasant, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> some guys like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he said, go home and get that done. But because in 2006 I had had the upper GI issues, yes, I was scheduled to have an upper GI as well at the same time because of the past uh, problems I had had with the upper GI. So my dad said, well, son, just make sure what the doctor uses, uh, the doctor is going to do it at one time. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, just make sure that he, if he's going to use the same scope, go down your throat first before he goes up oh, your ass. Because God. you don't want to reverse it. <laughs> I said, Dad, I think the doctor would probably know to scope my throat first before he scopes my ass. Oh. But I think he'll probably use a different scope for the ass than he will for the throat. Who knows? They might scope me from both ends at the same time. <laughs> and who wouldn't love that? So, um, yeah. oh, <laughs> but that was my dad's, that was dad. my last interaction with my father. Mm-hmm. And that was so 100% my father. Yeah, yeah. That was the way I chose to remember my last interaction with my dad. That's making great. an off-color joke about sticking things up my ass yeah. and my, down my mouth, <laughs> down my throat. So and that was in 2015. That was 2015, June, uh, uh, June of 2015. My father died on my parents' 58th anniversary. 58, 58 years. Great years. Yeah. And uh, 12, let's see, 56, 2012, 13, 14, 15, six, 59th, 59th. Uh, because, or 58, but they were married in September of 30, of 56. Anyway, we'll do the math. It's something around there. Okay. Uh, but it was their anniversary, the date on which he died. So then the... Um, then the uh, um, estate, which I had to handle, and shortly after that was completed was when I ended up in the hospital. And the neurologists, the doctors, everyone involved were like, this is a syndrome. I, it was called uh, uh, Miller-Fisher. It's a variant of Guillain-Barre. Guillain-Barre is a possible problem that can happen after you get immunizations especially a flu shot okay and Guillain-Barre uh, believe it or not it's very sci-fi and weird Guillain-Barre starts to paralyze you from your feet and it starts to move up your body slowly and you become paralyzed and if it reaches your um, uh, respiratory system you have to be put on a ventilator or you'll die Whoa. I had a different variant called Miller Fisher and Miller Fisher starts to paralyze you from your periphery, hmm. the, the periphery of your body. 
your toes, your fingers, your scalp, the paralysis and the numbness moves from the periphery inward. Mm. Uh, it's it, it goes very quickly to your eye muscles. So my eye was uh, my eyes wouldn't function; they just kind of floated around at their own will. Uh, one had more control than the other, so I had to wear a pirate eye patch so I could see. Otherwise, I had double vision. I could barely walk; I was in a wheelchair. Uh, my aunt flew out uh, to Texas to take care of me the art my aunt who's like a sister who is an rn and i had marvelous doctors who figured out figured out very quickly and i was told by a, a, another neurologist that my urologist dr Yu, a very 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 talented um not that it matters but female neurologist she had me pegged in two minutes hmm. uh you have miller fisher into the hospital you go. I was told by many other doctors and nurses, other neurologists would have taken a much longer time to figure that out. Hmm. God sent you the right doctor. And what's the treatment for that? The treatment is four infusions of normal gamma globulin taken from people's blood with normal immune systems. And it stops the overreaction of your immune system where it's attacking your own body. Uh, while after my dad died, I had bad bronchitis, and I was prescribed a uh, very strong antibiotic. And very often, after you are prescribed an antibiotic that's very, very strong, and you've had a very bad infection, your immune system, for whatever reason, and they don't know why, just goes ballistic, and it starts attacking your own body, causing Guillain-Barre and or Miller-Fisher. And it often happens uh, when we get flu shots in the United States, you have to mm -hmm. sign a form that you could get Guillain-Barre oh. from a flu shot. I wonder if that's the same here. Uh, it's probably so. It's because it's, it's, yeah. they say it could, they think it's the per preservatives okay. in uh, the shot. But just because I've had it once doesn't mean I'll ever get it again. I've mm -hmm. had many immunizations since then, flu shots, all kinds of other recommended immunizations, and I'm fine. Yeah. But they do four infusions over four days of immunoglobulin derived from uh, normal healthy blood that causes the eye immunoglobulins that are in your system to stop their overreaction yeah. that is causing the symptoms. And then three weeks of physical therapy and occupational therapy. I went from a wheelchair to a walker to crutches to a cane to a belt wrapped around me and held by the physical therapists while they were teaching, while I was getting my mobility back. I had to do, I was in, I was in the uh, physical therapy ward with um, stroke patients, learning how to walk and do fine motor skills yeah. and things like that again after strokes. I was, so I was the most healthy person yeah. in, in, in there because I was just recovering from Miller Fisher. There were people in there that had had strokes, you know, and I felt so fortunate and almost guilty that I was in there just learning how to recover from an illness that was cured with four injections while these people were being taught how to to be mobile again after strokes. But I and did very well. All... I convalesced at my grandmother at my uh, aunt's house in South Carolina. 
went uh, back home, and that was in September of 2015, went back home in December, was back into work at uh, late December. And that is when the depression hit. After that illness, mother's death, helping my father, father then dies, I get gravely ill, I recover, I'm home, back, going to work, and finally the grieving process for my parents started. So, so after uh, all that had played out, I was, um, that's when the depression hit. Hmm. That's when I was like, I'm fucking exhausted. I can't think straight. I, what's going on, you know, and, and I got to talk to my psychiatrist. I called her up. I was a wreck. And at this point, were you still on that same medication? Were yes. you still on, um, well, I had switched. Lexapro? I had switched. No, I had switched to, um, uh, not that it honestly matters. I yeah, was just wondering what yeah, your journey I'm, was I'm like. I'm trying that. to remember, uh, it's called, um, uh, it's called it's that the wonder drug in the uh, Wellbutrin and not Wellbutrin in in the U.S. Um, S it, it's the ne- Levax Venlafaxine. Ven nope Venlafaxine is what I take now. That's uh, Effexor. Oh. Uh, oh, it starts with with a C. A citalopram. Mm. Celexa. Uh, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Uh, okay, it was so an you, SNRI. Okay, so you're still uh, taking medication, yeah. but it just... Cymbalta. Cymbalta. Okay. Cymbalta okay. is the one that also people use for some pain control. Okay. It's like the wonder drug. Uh, so uh, a, a year bef- back, uh, before my dad died, she had switched me to that. She okay. thought, you need a little more. You've yeah. got a lot on you. It's an SNRI. Um, and, and, you know, and a lot of family and my family were using it and, uh, I had some shoulder, I have some shoulder issues and knee issues from injuries that cause pain Okay, and it's supposed to help pain as well. So I think about a year before my dad died, I had gone to that. But anyway, I walked, I went into her and I just, for, just lost it in her office and she was like, Whoa, I've never seen you like this. And she said, now stop and think about it. This has been a process that began in 2012. Your mother died. You were on suicide watch for your father. You felt responsible for your father. You got your father up and on his feet. He did good for a little while. You devoted time to helping him. He dies. You do the estate. Then you end up in the hospital for three weeks and convalesce for almost three months. And now you're well again, and you got well very quickly, and and you're trying to get back to a normal life. But now all of it is cumulative. Stress is cumulative. Grief, grief is cumulative. And if you don't deal with it, if you don't, if you don't come to terms with it, work on it. You've got to feel it and, and, and let it take hold of you and, and, and do what it's going to do with you and then overcome it and master it and learn how to live with it. Otherwise, 
what do you do? Yeah. You've got to go on. And that had never really happened for me. So she said, it's no wonder. It's no wonder. She said, um, there's a medication. It's an SNRI like the Cymbalta, but it is um, a, a one that's it's, it's the bad boy. It, it helps greatly or it doesn't do well at all. And if you try to go off of it, it's horrific. But I think it's going to work well for you. And um, it's uh, S. It's an SNRI, so it's norepinephrine and serotonin. And at higher levels, it hits a little dopamine as well. Um, but it's a Fexor in the United States is the name brand. Mm-hmm. And um, it's desvinlafaxine, I think, um, or vinlafaxine. It's Deslin. Deslin is the Pristique, the newer version of it. Okay. Venlafaxine is the older version of it. Uh, the newer version, they say, is, is it's just for patent, you know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, patent renewal, so they can have another name down drug. She gave me generics. They were shit. Generic uh, psych meds can be a problem, according to my psychiatrist especially if they are time-released because the drug company has to give the chemical uh, compound to the drug manufacturer, but they do not have to give them the excipients that they use and the release mechanisms that Mm. they use. Okay. So the... uh, Disclaimer in Scott's experience. Yeah, and and, in my experience. Right. Uh, So she gave me that, and I would feel great... But it was supposed to be a once 24 hour a day and it would be like almost euphoric in the beginning and then a hard crash in the afternoon. So what it was doing is it was dumping the medication. Right. It wasn't giving it to me and and, an even uh, release. Mm -hmm. And she said, I am writing you as name brand only because this, this particular drug and time-released psych drugs are known to have this problem. It's a known issue. It's documented. There's studies done. And your insurance shows me that it will cover it. And indeed it does. Do you know what? Actually, they are charging me 83 cents less <laughs> for, for the 90-day for the brand than they were the fucking generic that wasn't working or nice. shit. Nice. Oh, yeah. Well, depending on your drug plan, sometimes it works out that way. That's cool. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm using that, and um, then uh, along came you, and uh, and, I, and and we've circled back to yeah, the first question, all the way back <laughs> to the first it. question. That's how we got. This here. is how we'll wind it up. Wow. I, um, you know, you still have your ups and downs. You still have those mornings when you wake up, and before your mind clears, you think, "Oh, I need to call mom." mama and tell her this or she would like this mm-hmm. or whatever things hit you and I was at a hard point and I found you and uh, I was just obsessed for, for a couple of weeks I was just watching the videos between flights before I'd go to bed at night hopping around like I said the old ones the new ones the funny ones the serious ones um, you know and um, I just thought I have gained more insight and knowledge from this guy. And, and the quote that 
got me the thing that you said was i know uh, i know you're here did i am i repeating myself did no, i say no, this we have, earlier like, no um i know what you've been through you've been through hell i've been through it myself i'm still here you're still here and it, you're going to make it you're stronger than you think but i know you've been through hell hmm. and you're still here and i'm like this guy has felt exactly what i have felt different circumstances he's younger he's not losing his parents it's but he because he lives in a in a in a time now where in um realizing you have an anxiety and or depression problem or any mental health issue is is um, better understood hopefully in in many cases um diagnosed quicker and better than before although it's still certainly a problem that it's not well understood or recognized by a lot of medical professionals but it doesn't matter that it's not the same cases death in families and and things like that but that you experience depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. he knows where i've been where you feel like you can't lift that cover off your body you can't take a fucking shower you can't make food you can't leave the house you know um sometimes i describe it as when it hits me it's like like a weight appears in the top of my head and just it's in the front of my forehead and it just feels like it's pulling me down and wanting Mm. to pulling me pull me down physically into the ground or into the bed or i also see it as like somebody standing across from me with a chain and a hook and they swing it and it just comes down and cracks in the middle of my skull and the hook comes out the front of my forehead and they just start pulling me toward them and that person pulling me toward them is my anxiety Mm. and my depression Mm -hmm. to counter that one of my visualizations is to sit on the top of a mountain because I love mountains I love mountainous terrain where the clouds are low and they come to you. I, I have I inherited a, a cabin from my parents that are way up in the mountains. Clouds will literally float by your front porch. Oh, so nice. And my, uh, my therapist taught me uh, a guided visualization. And she said, make up your own. And the first one I came to was I'm sitting on the top of a mountain peak on it uh, uh, and and it's beautiful and peaceful and it's it's not necessarily bright and sunny but they're clouds but they're individual white puffy clouds and I'm sitting there and one's coming my way and I know that it's going to pass by me but it also passes through me and as it passes through my depression and anxiety riddled mind it cleanses it and as it comes out the other side and i look at it it's now black Hmm. and it floats away and it dissipates i love that and if it makes me feel better but not great that's i just turn my head to the left and wait for the next one yeah yeah and another one comes by and this is that i'm guiding my own imagery Mm mm-hmm and it passes through me, passes through my body, passes through my racing heart, my quickly breathing lungs, 
and I do a lot of breathing exercises as well and listening to music um, and it slows the heart rate it slows the breathing rate it takes the darkness out of my mind passes through me it's black and it fades away and I let as many clouds pass through my my brain and my body as necessary to cleanse me and heal me and that's a visualization that works for me but that's a tool I, I think anybody just anybody's using their own imagination can come up with mm -hmm. some kind uh, there I've heard of many the elevator that keeps descending right yeah uh, I, did you do one about an elevator nope. uh, that was my therapist perhaps she's like you picture whatever the elevator is it's a birdcage type elevator it's a modern elevator and it keeps going down and it opens onto scenes that please you oh, beautiful. and you go and you explore them and then you walk back in you need more you push the next level and it descends to another level and it opens up and now you're on a beach mm. and you walk in the sand and you feel the sun and you go back in the elevator that's just sitting there on the beach it's a door that appears and you go down again and another scene opens and it's whatever you want it to be and when you've calmed yourself and come back to yourself and feel you're ready to get up from the bed the floor wherever you are and your guided imagery has been successful or at least help you push the top floor it raises you up it opens you open your eyes and you're in the real world oh that's great what what are i guess to leave people with because i know we spoke mostly which i which i absolutely loved and really appreciate and i know everyone else did um with the passing of your parents what are some along with visual visualizations what are some things that you're doing ever since let's just say 20 or when you when was that 2018 2017 when you had that when you had that breakdown 20 uh that would have been the beginning of 2016 2016 because my dad died in uh june of 2015 i became sick in september of 2015 and i was convalescing through the beginning of 2016 and back at work at the end of january 2016 okay and that's when i hit right hit the wall yeah yeah so since then what are there some new strategies that you've been using? Uh, um, not really. I've just gone back. The medication has helped immensely. Okay. And and I looked back over my my history of when I because I had changed medications a couple of times between my mother's death and my father's death, trying something new because I was struggling. Mm -hmm. It is not as if I I sailed along helping my dad happy go lucky. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I did have to, rough times, and in consultation with my psychiatrist, she did want to try some other drug therapies. For example, when I started in 2006, and I do occasionally have to rely on benzos. It's, it's just it's an it's a um, when you've dealt with it for 30 something years, there comes a level of exhaustion. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, sometimes you just don't have it in you to do a guided visualization. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't even have it in me to click depression2expression.com mm -hmm. or go to YouTube <laughs> right. and watch a Scott video. Yeah. Sometimes I do. 
Sometimes I don't. I haven't watched all 700 of your videos. Oh, come on, man. But I'm working my way through. (laughs) But sometimes it's just give me the goddamn pill. I just got to take the pill. And I used to view it as a weakness. Mm -hmm. And my doctor said it is not a weakness. It's what it's for. It's a tool. Mm -hmm. She has... Uh, studied me to make sure I'm not an addictive personality. She has said she is a 99.9% sure I am not an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. I do not take them when I don't need them, and I take them when I do. Uh, it has gone from a 0.25 in 2006 to a 0.5 to a 1 milligram. Mm-hmm. But from 2006 to 2019, I've only gone from... Uh, up 0.75 milligrams in the dosage of what I can use of a Xanax right. up to three times a day. Yeah, I don't think that's anything to worry about. No, and I'm not addicted. <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. addicted. For It took me almost uh, until like a couple of years ago. to I was still had fear of it. I had a fear of it, of addiction. She finally convinced me. She said, you are not an addicted personality. Hmm. Use it when you need it. So I use my meds when I need it. Yep. Uh, I, I do not journal. Journal does not, uh, it's not something that interests me, helps me. I did journal after my mother's death. Okay. And this is how I feel about you, Scott. I, 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 I will share that with you. I don't know if I'll let you talk about it broadcast it podcast it again but i'll let you read what i wrote wow i would be honored no 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 person on this earth has read what i wrote wow i would be honored i i think i think i am moved to share that with you if you're interested in reading it of course um and I'd like to do this again sometime if we can. Of course. I'd I just, like to talk about spirituality. Oh, we have, I've got we have so many topics. So many topics, and, but I'm and, glad we stuck to one. And you and I think a lot alike in oh, many, many, we, we many could go ways. off on We could have made this a 10-hour podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think ending off on one thing that I know is a tool for you. You talk about medication. And you said being involved in your work is a big thing, yes. keeping busy. But there is one other thing yes. which we both talk about, and I think you already know where I'm going. You're going to the music. The music. What yes. does music do for you? Music, to me, I have always been a music lover. Uh, I can't play instruments. Uh, I like to sing, although I don't know that other people like to hear me sing. Um <laughs> I love studying music in detail. Mm. I like to listen to songs over and over and over and pick out every layer, every instrument. I like to read the lyrics, study them, interpret them. I particularly love songs that aren't straightforward in their lyrical meaning, Uh, songs that are ambiguous in their lyrics or can have multiple interpretations. That, to me, is not a distraction from anxiety and um, uh, uh, depression, but it is something that I enjoy. And if there's, if I can't enjoy anything else, if I can't get joy out of anything else I normally love, usually I can go to music and and and, and get something. 
Not always. Sometimes even the music I love the best when I'm depressed, when I'm having an episode, sounds like noise. Which goes, which tells you how strong depression yeah. can be. If something that you love and yes. that brings you joy. There was a particular song I shared with you that was happy, bouncy, uh, uplifting. Shaka Khan? Shaka Khan. Um, and that song, um, Love of a Lifetime is one of the most positive uplifting song the way they sing it the 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 music the instruments the lyrics everything and you stopped and you had this commentary uh about we were you know that you're listening to it mm-hmm. and about you said how can someone feel depressed when they're listening to this mm-hmm. yet when you are nothing it can't can, yeah it's flat and, it's and, so flat. and the song is very layered she does lots of backing vocals it's very frenetic it's very high energy mm-hmm. and and when i'm at my worst i listen to that and it sounds like i'm like turn that fucking noise off yeah yeah it's noise to me yeah yet when i'm in a good mood or when i'm in a mood where that move that music can lift me to a good mood it's like it's 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 like magic it's it lifts me through the roof hmm. Isn't that but other, at other times it's noise I'm, yeah yeah you know but yeah music i have go-tos mm-hmm. uh many songs that i've shared with you that i have that are go-to songs uh and go-to artists um so that's a big part of it i i i live alone and i don't like the noise of tv and on the background i like either silence or i like music yeah uh one or the other and and that is 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 a big tool in my tool chest as big tool in the tool uh, chest. I, I love share box i love tool we share belt. and and i uh, you know i want to start you've got to start sharing some music with me well uh for those listening that's part of the new perk of patreon we're gonna have uh, I'm going to share my Spotify uh, with everyone on Patreon and have the whole music subcategory cool. so we can share all of us and share different things yeah. and do listening parties and all of yeah. that. I think it'll be cool. Didn't you also mention doing like a, a movie watching party? Yeah, I thought you, we can't do it on YouTube, but we can do it on our own Yeah, with our own stream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that'll be that so would cool. be a trip. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but but uh, the listening party would that be like we're all on Zoom? Yeah, and, exactly. And, and we're and we're I'll, hearing the song. Yes, exactly. I think and we cool. can like somebody could say pause, pause. Yep, pause uh, it. We talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let's and talk then, about that. What what that part right there that mm-hmm. got me? That got me. Isn't that cool? And so, you guys, the the these people on Patreon, they they are incredible, incredible people unreal i i don't want to say it because i i'm obviously biased and i don't no. want to make it sound like a an ad no but it's they are incredible yeah these are these are the stalwart true supporters the the youtube community is fantastic that's how i discovered you yeah they love you you it's huge you've you've helped and saved who knows how many um but this is your business this is your chosen career and and uh, this is an investment. Patreon is an investment in helping you help others around the world mm-hmm. in your local area and around the world through YouTube, through speaking, through all the podcasts. You have all these multiple modalities that you're you're getting into, which are supported 
by, of course, speaking gigs and stuff, you're going to get paid. But this all, this all, you know, it, it requires effort and money and time. Mm-hmm. And, and when you support Scott on Patreon, you are supporting that helping of untold millions around the world. Which is a pretty cool feeling, I think. Yeah. And, 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 and YouTube's just getting so, I can show you a recent uh, video I'm putting up just how bad the demonetization yeah. has got even this year the depression or the the dr reinhold, the dr. reinhold that's demonetized dr reinhold okay come on she's a, a psychiatrist she's a psychiatrist it's we're talking about eating disorders they i don't know it but it, it was manually reviewed and they they it's say absolutely no. ludicrous there are some other ones uh what depression feels like was demonetized recently this week they it's on for a while and they say nope uh, you can't talk about what depression feels like, what mm. anxiety feels like, my depression story. Um, all these things are are demonetized, and like thanks That's YouTube. So wrong. All they want is 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 entertaining shit. Yeah, not shit. I, I shouldn't no, say that. No, it's not. Let shit, me take that but back. Like, but but fun, fun, happy, happy, quick cuts. Uh, you know, let's do an unboxing. Let's mm-hmm. get a bunch of guys to try something they've never done before. You know, the try guys. I watch some of that shit. They're funny. Yeah, it's great. The try yeah. guys are funny. Yeah. You know, uh, but, but you know, they, they only want to promote what will they think is appropriate. And to me, it's a form of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, censorship. Oh, of course. It's oh, censorship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're like, well, fuck you. We own the platform. We'll do what we want. Yeah. Well, but you know, there's, there's a point have of... some corporate ethics. Yeah, but there, that's a whole thing right now with, with Google and YouTube and, and censoring uh, right-wing uh, things, which I totally disagree with. I think it should be an open platform, mm-hmm. just like Twitter is. But, um, no, there's that's a whole other podcast, too. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why... Patreon's really special, and every yeah. patron, just like yourself, Scott, is yeah. very, very special and helpful. So not only what we're doing online, but but offline with, yeah. with the speaking and everything. It's, yeah. it's amazing. And then yeah. the news I just told you today about the yeah. the cami and that. Hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll be a face. But yeah, yeah, the face um, of Canadian Mental Health Canadian Association. Mental health, yeah. Um, yeah. Are there any? I want to see your face I want on a my billboard everywhere. I want my face. They're gonna like run out of like blue paint to do your eyes, <laughs> <laughs> and white paint to do your teeth. You guys, yeah, right. <laughs> on, I always said if Scott can't make it, you know, in, in this, he can do he can do commercials for like contacts and and glasses. <laughs> And for tooth whitening products. Oh my goodness, dude! <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that last video you did where you like stuck your that one tooth which doesn't have that big of a gap, just stuck your tooth up in the in the yeah in the uh, uh, lens of the camera. I don't like this gap. I'm like, this guy is nuts. There is nothing he won't do. It's uh, YouTube shouldn't be. I don't know. You just it leave it raw, fun. man. It's fun. It yeah. Be fun. Like who else sticks and, their oh, teeth? And up you in know the what lens? you're talking about? The fast cuts. Yeah. The constant cuts. Those videos drive me nuts. I don't like them either. All uh, they, they all they do is uh, all I can see is cut, cut, cut. That person cut seven times in twelve seconds. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's all I see, and yeah. that tells me that person can't string a sentence together. Well, that's a whole theory about why YouTubers are so bad 
um, doing live yeah. events and live presentations, right. meeting people in person right. because they don't they can mess up in front of the camera and start over, right. and take big pauses. In real life, dude, you, there's no cuts. Yeah. And you that's keep why the going. your videos, you have a cut here and there. Sure. But you go for stretches at a time because yeah. you can string to you can string a sentence together and make sense. Well, it's important to. That's how yeah. we communicate. Yeah. And that's why online is uh well, it can be used for good and bad. Yeah. On that note, Scott, I would like thank to you. thank you thank from the you. bottom of my heart for thank coming you. on. I know it's um, I know it was uh, not really a last minute invitation, but we didn't we don't have a script, we didn't have no. you know any framework really. We just said go I, and, and I it was turned in my out hotel to it, room making notes about things I thought we'd get to. No, we Damn. just it flows we the didn't way it even did. Get there. I think it it came out the Which way it I, did. I've just got to do more. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you've this got is episode it. one. You know, you, you know, you guys know if you watch his videos, you use your dry erase wall. You've yes. got a list, man. You've got a list. There's you've got lots a list of guests, to get through. But, but I'm, stick me in there once or twice again. I'm I'll glad it, you've been on the list and you're one check mark, but you'll be it on again. It was an honor. It was an honor. I admire you greatly. I've said it to you before, and this is not hyperbole. I think what you do is heroic because it's selfless. You did it to help others bottom line that is the bottom line you struggled through it and you wanted to show people how to do it too mm. and you wanted to be the guy who did it mm. because no one it was always females then there's nothing wrong with that but but there's not many a male who is confident enough, I don't think, to go on YouTube and be vulnerable and talk about the fact that I suffered depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks to the quality of human being that you are. And um, it's one of the many, many, many reasons why I there was just no way I could not become a patron. I just something I had to do. And we'll continue to do I till the day I croak, I'm sure and that'll be longer than 20 years from but now. you but you know and 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 this is what got me too you you did a video where you said patreon will not last forever mm -hmm. because a day will come where you will be successful in your own right and you will not need patreon mm -hmm. and i will be that will be one of the proudest days of my life awesome when i don't have to contribute to patreon because you have a self-sustaining career not to say it's not self-sustaining now this sustenance that comes from your patrons is done out of of admiration and love and a desire to help others yeah so it's legit it's not charity it's investment yeah and i think that you know i, I know i said that a while back but depending how this new direction goes with the community we can build online through this Discord app because I, it is really cool and I can't wait to show you. You know, maybe I'd just do it as a community for for free yeah. instead because YouTube, it's tough to have a dialogue there in the comments. You get spam bullshit. This yeah. way, it's like it, it's, it's a clean community. People I know you get spam bullshit. I am a fucking moderator. <laughs> so stop with your goddamn music requests. <laughs> Got it? Yeah. He did it for a while. It was fun. It's over. <laughs> Please stop. Because I 
delete them. Yeah, you do. I know that's no good. And then I, you mark, thank you. You flag them, and then I delete them. It's oh, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I flag them. Yeah, but but you have the power it's, to let them oh, stay or not. It's a good feeling. Yeah, it's a good but, feeling. But I, he was like, "Do you want to be a moderator?" I'm like, "Fuck yeah, man! Yeah. Give me the power." Oh, that's amazing. Because it, these people coming on. Uh, these some assholes came on here like fucking threatening you if you didn't start reacting to songs again <laughs> make another channel like you have time i know it's so funny to go and make a second channel <laughs> just just for the just for them just for them and threatening you how special are they i'm gonna unsubscribe if you don't make another channel and then i loved how you handled it bye yeah, please, please leave. Do. Please and me leave. and my gay ass had to go be like, <laughs> bye, Felicia. <laughs> Everyone knows Scott in the comments. Yeah. Uh, well, on that, we got to stop soon. We got to stop yeah, Damn, we're going to like, you know, run the computer down. Yeah. Everyone, thank but, you so much for listening. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll talk to everyone soon. And, um, you know, really appreciate you, Scott, for coming. And, and it was my pleasure and my honor. And I thank you.